And we are all especially thankful for our children, our grandchildren, our little nieces and nephews, all of our children that are a part of our, our church family here. What a great, great blessing they are to all of us. And as we consider this coming week and Thanksgiving and being grateful, uh, we're grateful for uh, the blessing of being with family members and friends that we're sometimes not able to be with and mindful of those that we'll be missing during this time <clears throat> because of our traveling or because of the travel of others. <clears throat> As we said, we are going to be having a lot of activities coming up. Our shepherd, David Wick, shared much of those, and we'll be uh, having our, our special pie devotional and coffee this coming Tuesday night without anything planned for Wednesday night, so be sure and make note of that. There are a lot of other holiday parties that are mentioned in the bulletin. There are some sign-up sheets out in the foyer, so I hope <clears throat> that you'll remember to take advantage of all of those. As we uh, consider this series of sermons that we've been going through over the last several weeks, uh, today marks the end of that sermon, of that series, How to Be Good Bad Guys. Um, <clears throat> and this may be a very timely sermon for many of us as we look forward to being with people that we don't always get to be around in the week ahead and in the next couple of months of the holidays. Being, being good bad guys means obeying both the greatest and the second greatest command. That should go without saying, uh, but today we're saying it anyway, that we're called to go about our lives loving God and loving the world. Now, that may seem like a strange title uh, to you and a strange statement to even make, and I get that. But that's what Jesus said, that we are to love God, the greatest commandment, and the second is like it, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Last week, we spoke of this great call and the greatest commandments, and we shared about them from the perspective of Ephesians 4, verse 15, speaking the truth in love. And so as Christians, we are committed to truth, but we're also committed to love. And those are not uh, against each other. They don't contradict. They actually complement each other. And we see that especially in the life of Christ. So as we consider this uh, series today and as we consider this thought of loving God and loving the world, this, this morning I want us to um, consider the tension that that brings and the discomfort sometimes that it brings. It seems to me like if we sold out to truth and didn't care about love, if we sold out to love and didn't care about truth, if we sold out to the first and greatest commandment without worrying about the second great commandment, our lives would be much easier because then we wouldn't have that difficult time where we are at odds with other people and how to, how to handle that. And so this morning, I want us to face that tension and talk about it directly and as the saying goes in our world today, to try to help each other lean into the tension. Because I think that's what Jesus did. What does all of this look like? Well, first of all, loving the world without loving worldliness. 
If you're a little bit uncomfortable about the statement, loving God and loving the world, this might help. <laughs> Let's define some terms, shall we? We're talking about loving God and loving Him and His will, which calls us to love the world, but to do that without loving worldliness. In John 3, verses 16 and 17, Jesus says that, uh, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever uh, would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. For, He says, the Son of Man did not come to uh, judge the world, to condemn the world, but to save the world. And God did that in just a masterful way. And what a, what a wonderful moment we shared earlier around the table as Tucker led us uh, in seeing Jesus across the table and sharing that moment um, with him. And so we get that. We are to love the world the way the Father loves the world. But then there's this statement that you're very familiar with in 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. (laughs) And so the tension there is very clearly stated. (laughs) You have one verse, John 3.16, that says God loves the world. And then you have another verse, 1 John 2, that tells us do not love the world. How do you reconcile those? How can they both be true statements? Again, we define some terms and we realize that when we're using world in this way, we're not talking about worldliness. There's a difference. We are people of the world. We are human beings. That, that is a given. And that's something that is true, whatever our background, whatever our beliefs. But we can be in the world without being of the world, as the saying goes. We can love the world without loving worldliness. And obviously, that's what Scripture is speaking of. For God so loved the world, the people in the world, that He gave His one and only Son. And yet, that Son tells us through His inspired writer, John, the apostle whom Jesus loved, do not love the world or anything in the world. Our shepherd David Wicks reminded us of that great verse in Acts 17, verse 30, that God does not want anyone to perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. And so he loves the world, and that's why he gave his son, and that's why he calls us to repent. But he does not love worldliness. He calls it sin. And he tells us that we're not to love that either. So loving God and loving the world means loving the world without loving worldliness. Now that's great when you're speaking in general terms. But when you start getting specific 
and you start interacting with friends or family members or fellow students or co-workers or neighbors who don't see things the way you see them. How, how do we do that? How do we love the world without loving worldliness? How do we love God and love the world? And when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, what if that neighbor is opposed to us and to our beliefs and is living a different kind of life? That's where the tension comes in. That's where this call to be good bad guys comes in. If others who disagree with us are going to consider us the bad guys, then how can we do that? How can we lean into that and be good guys, even though we're considered to be the bad guys? How can we love God and love the world? How can we love the world without loving worldliness? And how can we hate sin without hating the sinner without uh, resenting the person. And that's what we call living with tension. And that's the second part of our message today. We are, to, we are called to be loving the world without loving worldliness, and that puts us in a place of tension. And that means loving the world without loving worldliness means living with tension, <laughs> We would like to say, oh, well, if we'll just do this, then the tension will go away. It won't be difficult anymore. But that's just not true. It's just not true. Let's talk for a minute about why that is. In John 1, and we've mentioned this verse many times, verses 14 and 17 John records that Jesus came full of grace and truth. He came to reveal grace and truth. That's why the Word became flesh. Not grace only, not truth only, but grace and truth. In 2 Peter 3, the Apostle Peter calls us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Again, if he had just said one of those two, there wouldn't be this tension We could grow in grace and accept everybody no matter what. Or we could grow in knowledge and be committed to the firm doctrine of the truth no matter what. But Peter says to grow in the grace and knowledge. If we're just doing one of those two, we're not being faithful. But to do both brings tension. It, It brings tension. And we're called to live with that tension. Jesus did that as well. In Matthew chapter 9 is this story where Jesus quotes that great statement um, uh, from Hosea chapter 6. And we read about that here in Matthew chapter 9 in the calling of the apostle Matthew. As Jesus went on from there in verse 9 of Matthew 9, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Typically, what someone would do is they would walk all the way around that. They would not interact with him at all. They actually resented him. He was an outcast. He was a sellout, this Matthew. Instead, Jesus stops at that booth 
Follow me, he told Matthew, and he got up and followed him. But it gets worse. (laughs) Verse 10, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners, quote unquote, came and ate with him and his disciples. Why is that? Because that's the only people who would come to Matthew's house. When the Pharisees saw this, verse 11, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Quoting Hosea 6.6. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In Matthew chapter 12, he brings up this scripture again. As he, is, <clears throat> he and his disciples are criticized because they're uh, doing things on the Sabbath that the religious leaders think is a violation of the law. Going through the grain field to get something to eat or even healing a man with a shriveled hand. And Jesus remembers that verse from Hosea 6 there as well. And so Jesus spent his life living with tension as well. And we could talk about many other examples of this. Jesus and a Samaritan woman at the well. If he had just not started to talk to her, there would have been no tension. She would have been a little bit uncomfortable because this Jewish man was there when she wasn't expecting anybody to be there. But no words would be spoken. No contact would be made. No confrontation. No acceptance given, no truth spoken. And they would go about their way. Or perhaps Jesus interacting with the rich young ruler when he told him the one thing that would drive him away. He had made, fulfilled all the commandments, he said, and Jesus agreed. And then Jesus told him, your heart is filled with materialism and worldliness. You need to get rid of all of that. So that there will be no barrier between you and God. And the man went away sorrowful. The woman that was caught in the very act of adultery. Jesus, Jesus could have ruled with the mob and said, Oh, she's guilty of sin. The law is clear. You're right. We should stone her to death. Or he could have uh, been accepting and loving and gracious and merciful. And after every, all of them was left, he 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 asks her the question, well, where are those who accuse you? And she says, there is no one, sir. And he could have stopped it right there. But instead he said, leave your life of sin. Grace and truth. Loving the world without loving worldliness. Loving and accepting this woman without condoning her life of sin And being willing to share the call of God into her life that says, you've got to do better. Got to do better. Even when Jesus was interacting with Pilate, John's gospel tells us that he had some interaction there. And he showed Pilate more respect than the Jewish leaders did. And theirs was all couched in power and what they could get from him. Jesus wanted nothing from him. But he talked to him about truth and he talked to him about power and who has the real power here. 
And Jesus affirms to him that it's not you, governor, <laughs> and, and it's not the mob that brought me to you. And your ruling here is, is really not the main issue. The main issue here is truth, something Pilate had forgotten about. We, of course, could go on and on. We could look throughout the New Testament and see examples of New Testament leaders, writers of Scripture, apostles such as Paul when he talks about the difficulty, the burden that he has for the church in 2 Corinthians 11. And sure, that's a burden that he wants them to be saved, but why? Why is that? Well, because, because they are so often doing things that are contrary to the will of God. And Paul admits that his life was filled with burden and tension because of that. I like this quote from Matt Smethurst. He wrote, Legalists treat gray issues as if they're black and white. Theological liberals treat black and white issues as if they're gray. Mature Christians, gladly submitting to God's Word in a healthy church, do the harder work of holding truths in tension and resisting easy extremes. Probably the first sentence or two that I read, you're more comfortable with one or the other, not both. Legalists treat gray issues as if they're black and white. And you're probably thinking, well, that's exactly right. They do. Theological liberals treat black and white issues as if they're gray. (laughs) That's exactly right. They do. They don't stand for the truth when the truth should be stood for, or they're standing for the truth when the truth doesn't say that. It's not quite so clear. It's very likely that both are right. Mature Christians, gladly submitting to God's Word in the healthy church, do the harder work of holding truths in tension and resisting easy extremes. You see, if we go to the extremes, if we accept grace only or truth only, it's easy. It's easy. There's less tension. But it's wrong. And it's not the way of Jesus. And it's not going to give us any credibility with the people that we're trying to reach in this world. It's much more difficult that's true. But it's the way of the cross. And it's the way of Christ. So much of Scripture is talking about how Christians deal with each other in the book of Romans and 1 Corinthians and Ephesians throughout And so again, instead of taking the easy way out of one extreme or or the other, we lean into the tension. We don't like it. It makes us uncomfortable. Yes, that's true. But it makes us more like Jesus than if we just avoid it. Remaining true to the truth and obeying Bible teaching is what we're called to do. And that includes remaining true to the command to live with grace and mercy. And to do both of those is hard. It's hard. But it's what we're called to do. We may do it um, imperfectly. We will do it imperfectly. But we're called to do that. And it gives us a life of joy. And so loving God and loving the world today is talking about living with joy. Living with joy. And there are several scriptures there under this 
last point, living with joy. There's that call to rejoice in the Lord always from Philippians 4. There's the reminder in Hebrews 12 that Jesus himself looked at all the suffering and in all the pain, and yet for the joy set before him, endured that tension, endured the cross. And so I want us to think for just a moment about this scripture in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18. Because it says this, three great points, rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. Well, that's, uh, that's hard. <laughs> it is hard. And when you think about the Thessalonians that Paul was writing to, it was even harder for them because their whole lives were filled with persecution and threat because of their Christian faith. Paul himself was run out of that town when he tried to share the gospel there. Much of what he writes about in First and Second Thessalonians has to deal with living under, under stress and persecution. And yet he tells them, rejoice, always pray, continually give thanks in all circumstances. Lean into the tension, knowing, knowing that Jesus has been there before you and that he will be there with you in the midst of this. As David shared during our shepherd's prayer time, we are most thankful for the salvation that Jesus has brought and the relationship with God that we have. It's that call to live in faithfulness and worship, living with joy. You see, the tension doesn't have to take away our joy. The difficulty doesn't take away our joy. We lean into it, but we lean into it with the power of Christ and with the message of the gospel that seeks the best way we can to live a faithful life according to the truth, first of all, and then when we have the opportunity to be able to share that, but to share that with love and humility and grace. And it enables us to live with joy. So as we close not just this sermon, but this series, we close it with the question, how can we be good, bad guys in our world today? How do do we do that? How do we do that? And I want us to remember two specific things today. Number one, seek Christ's kingdom and righteousness first. As you know, that's right out of Matthew 6.33. And the next verse is important too. Verse 34 says, don't worry about tomorrow. And when you're living with tension, when you're trying to love God and love the world, the way Jesus did, the way God does... It might make you worried about tomorrow. It might make you worried about this week or next month or next year. And so we lean into that tension. And we accept that call and we refuse to take the easy way out and go one extreme or the other. But like Jesus, we seek to live lives filled with grace and truth. Seek Christ's kingdom and righteousness first, and then secondly, love others the way Christ loves you. Love others the way Christ loves you, and He does. Oh, He does. He gave His life for you, and now He calls on you to love others the way He has loved you. 
Being good, bad guys means loving God and loving the world. Just like Jesus did. If we can help you do that today, come as we stand. Sing our song together.